Good morning. It is a privilege to be with you this morning. I uh, brought my wife down there who actually kept Claire when, y'all, when Craig was planning the church. And so that makes us feel old this morning. But it's always good to see the people that you are a part of their, their childhood grow up and, and do what the Lord's called them to do. Amen? And so now I have my oldest daughter, nine. Addie, you want to wave your hand? And then Bella, you want to wave your hand? You want to wave your hand? Okay. Cora, you want to wave your hands? I never talk to them at church. They're loving this. And then little Judd is uh, 11 weeks today, Mom. Is that right? And so we also have a few of our friends from church that came over. And the reason they came was because they needed to be encouraged by you and also for them to encourage you. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 tells us, right? Let us consider how to stir up one another love and good works. And so it's always a joy for us to be with you and to be together in God's Word. I appreciate your prayer, brother, just saying that God's Word is the thing that is going to have an effect upon us this morning. Amen. And so very thankful to be with us. If you'll take a Bible out in front of you, it's going to really help to have Luke 4 open in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, there is one provided for you in the seat pocket in front of you. And we will begin to get started today. When we look at this passage, what we see is is this temptation of Jesus. And we grew up knowing this story as children. If we grew up in the church, if we didn't, we didn't really know the story, and that's okay. But what we begin to see in the story is that we can pick it up and we can read it, and we can actually miss what's there. And that's not just for Luke 4, that's anywhere in the Scripture. And so what I want you to do this morning as we get started, I want you to take a hand, the person's hand next to you, or lay your hand on the person in front of you. And I just want you to lay your hand on them. And and what do you feel there? You feel warmth, right? They're moving. If you have children, they're, they're, they're moving around. And sometimes when we read through this passage, what we often forget is because of Jesus' incredible power and his incredible divinity, his all-knowingness, his all-powerfulness, because of his divinity, we sometimes often forget that Jesus, like us, came in the flesh. The state of Jesus, of course, he was fully God during this temptation, but the thing this morning that I do not want you to miss is that Jesus is going to be in the midst of temptation just like you and I this morning. I want you this morning, just as we walk through this passage, I want you to think about the flesh of Christ. I want you to think about his humanness, that he was fully God, we know, but he also was fully man, just like us. And so if we were to hold his hand this morning, we would feel warmth in his hand. If we were to lay our hand on his shoulder, we would have a sense that this man, this, he is a human amongst us. Now, yes, he's other than us, But he was like us in every way. The scripture says he was formed like us in every way. And we know this when we look at Philippians 2, 6 through 8. It says this about Jesus. This is the state of Christ as he goes into the wilderness. It says there, starting in verse 6, He, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Well, that's me every day. (laughs) I can't grasp equality with God. But it says, He made Himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in what? Human form. 
He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now I would say Jesus' obedience is seen way before we get to the cross. We actually see his obedience early on in his childhood. He comes in and he takes on the form of a man. He comes into the world. We celebrate that every year. He comes in and then the next, you kind of have a little drop in the, the storyline. Then we pick up and he's been missing from his family for three days and they're looking for him. And they come looking for him and they're like, why did you leave us? And he said, of course, I'm in my father's house. But if you keep reading right after that, the gospel writer records and says he left in submission to his parents. See, Jesus was already being obedient to the father and being in his house, but at the same time, he's being obedient to honor thy father, father and mother. This blows my mind that a God child would be obedient to parents who lack the spirit. How amazing is that? And then we see Jesus kind of lose him again, and then we pick him back up right before this in Luke 4, and Jesus says, being obedient to what the Scripture is called into, he goes to John the Baptist, and he's baptized by a man, not a God-man. He's baptized by a man, just like you and I, in obedience. And then what does God say about his son's obedience as the Holy Spirit descends from heaven upon him as a dove? God speaks from heaven. He says, man, this is my son who in the flesh is being obedient to whom I am well pleased. See, Jesus' humanness this morning, we cannot forget that he was fully God, but he was fully human. And in his human form, just like us, he was walking in obedience. So as we look in Luke 4, we'll begin in verse 1. And there's three things. If you want to write them down this morning, you can. They're going to come out of the scripture right here in the beginning that I want you to know before I read this. I'm just going to go ahead and give them to you. Jesus was a man full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was a man led by the Spirit. And then lastly, Jesus was a man who was hungry. So let's pick up in Luke 4, 1 here and see what, what the gospel writer says to us. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Now, this is interesting. Jesus is like us as he's going into this temptation. In this, if by God's grace you have been rescued by Christ, if you have repented and believed, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you have repented of your sin and confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then what we receive is what Jesus has received at his baptism, which is the Holy Spirit. Now, God the Father and God the Son and the God the Holy Spirit, they made creation together in Genesis. So I'm not trying to mess up the Trinity here. But what we're seeing that Jesus in human form is receiving his partner, one of his partners in his work, the fullness of the Holy Spirit comes upon him. Now, that happens to us too. If your parents here and you're working with your children, they're often sinning, right? Yes? And you're often, if you're honest, you're sinning alongside of them, yes? But so often the prayer that you have for your children is, Father, give them Christ. Give them the Holy Spirit so that they will have the power to keep your law. How many of you this morning believe that you could keep God's law without the Holy Spirit? 
We are powerless. Amen? We are powerless to keep his law. It actually is what condemns us. If we do not have the Holy Spirit, we cannot keep his law. Now, this is important to understand this morning, is that in Jesus' obedience, he knows the Father. He's known the Holy Spirit. He's known them both for all of eternity. But as a man, he is being obedient, and he is submitting himself to his parents. He is submitting himself to the Father. He is submitting himself to John. And then God rewards him according to his plan with the power of the Holy Spirit for his human form. And then the Holy Spirit, he's full of it. He's a person, by the way, not a substance, so he doesn't leak out. You don't get some of him. You get all of him, or you get none of him at all, right? But he gets all of the Holy Spirit, and then we see yet again an obedience and a submission because what happens? He's full of the Holy Spirit, but then in verse 1 it says he was what? Led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Does it seem as if Jesus made the decision to go into the wilderness? No. He's led by the Spirit. Now, our salvation is the same way. That when we repent and believe and the Holy Spirit comes upon us, what we should do is humbly, humbly in weakness, we see Jesus in weakness, weakness, we say, Lord, we're totally dependent upon you. My agenda, I want to go do this, but the Holy Spirit is saying, no, I want you to go in this way. And in the flesh, we're seeing Jesus model this for us in this text. Let's continue on and pick up. So he's been fasting for 40 days. It says he's being tempted by the devil. A quick read, you think, oh, he was just tempted at the end of 40 days because that was the point which he was most physically weak. But being tempted in the Greek was an ongoing temptation. For 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus is constantly berated by Satan and his temptations. Now this morning, when I think about him in the flesh... And I look back to Genesis, and I think of Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. They have everything that they want. They can eat anything they want. Their stomachs are full. They're not alone. God is with them. Eve is with Adam, and yet they get tempted by Satan. And what do they do? In the flesh. They succumb to temptation. We're seeing a beautiful picture of how Jesus is a greater Adam here, in that he is alone, He is not in the garden where there's food everywhere. He's not in Jason's Deli or Whole Foods, right? He's in the wilderness. He does not have Eve with him. He is alone apart from being full of the Holy Spirit. And for 40 days, day after day, moment after moment, Satan is trying to have his filled day with Jesus. And this is encouraging to me. Because I received the same Holy Spirit upon salvation that was given to Jesus in his baptism. Did you receive a different Holy Spirit than the one we're reading about in the text this morning? And then when I go to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says this to me. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. Let's back that up. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, let's read it a different way as Paul writes. No temptation is overtaking you that's not common to Jesus. For God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape 
so that you may be able to endure it. This morning, church, we needed a Savior that could overcome temptation in human form. We needed a Savior, as the writer in Hebrews says, that was tempted in every way, who suffered in every way, so that he might be able to sympathize with us in our weakness. This morning, it's extremely good news that Jesus was not some superhuman during these 40 days of temptation. Now, he is superhuman in the sense that he's fully God here. I'm not denying his power, but I want you to see this morning that in weakness, in the flesh, like you and I being obedient to the Father, full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is able to go 40 long, hard days with Satan and not succumb to his temptation. And that is good news this morning. And so let's continue. And he ate nothing during those days. I'm in the second part of verse 2. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Now, I don't know about you. I can go about two days and not eat, and I'm really suffering. So when it says he's hungry, he's hungry. And I'm thankful that he's fully human and that he can experience the pain of hunger. A brief note here. This is why fasting for us as a church or as churches is so important. See, fasting is not about fasting from food. It's about feasting on God. See, Jesus, we think like he had, no, he had no substance, we think, as he's fasting for 40 days. But see, he had substance. He was communing with the Father and the Holy Spirit those 40 days, gaining strength from them, not from earthly things, but from heavenly things. We see it in his ministry as he's ministering and he's talking to the Jewish, the Samar- excuse me, the Samaritan woman in John 4, he's communicating with her and the disciples come back from going to the grocery store, basically. And they're like, what are you doing, Jesus? Don't you want something to eat? And he goes, no, I have food that you know nothing about. And what he's saying is, is I know what it is to feast with the Holy Spirit and with God in the lack of human nutrition. This morning, Jesus, he would not have made it through the garden. He would have not have made it through the wilderness if he'd had all the food around him, but yet he lacked the presence of the Holy Spirit in communion with his Father. And this morning, that should be coming to mind for us. Let's continue in verse 3. The, <clears throat> then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. First temptation. You're hungry? I'll hit you with the easy one. Let's give you some of that good bread from one of the bakeries downtown. And then Jesus responds with what you've been studying for the last two years, Deuteronomy. He responds and says, we do not, man does not live on bread alone. And the temptation here, if you want to write it down, the temptation that Jesus is tempted with is with the power that you have, Jesus, go ahead and serve yourself. Number one, you want to write that down. See, our tendency in human form, even with the Holy Spirit, after God has rescued us, is to take the good thing that God has given us and turn it to serve ourselves. Amen? Romans 1 is a great example of that. So Jesus hits him right off the bat and says, you know what? You're hungry. You deserve it. Serve yourself. Let's continue on. And then the devil in verse 5, and then the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, 
and I give it to whom I will. Now, does it read the same way in your Bible? Yeah? So Satan's saying this about himself, right? Is it true? (laughs) Satan just said, I'll read it again. He said, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He's got some power there. And then said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. So your Bible reads that way, right? So Jesus is talking to Satan. Satan is speaking to Jesus, and he's saying, I have all authority to give you the power of these kingdoms, for they have been delivered to me, and I can give it to whom I will. That's kind of scary, right? That Satan, at this time with Jesus, has all the kingdoms at his disposal, and that he has the power to give them to Jesus. Have you ever thought about that text that way? Well, if it's here, it's true. And so Jesus responds to them. Well, actually, Satan says something else in verse 7. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him from Deuteronomy 6, 13, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now, this is an interesting dialogue. Because Jesus had saw Satan fall like a lightning bolt from heaven. Jesus was a part of before Adam and Eve were created because Adam and Eve knew no evil. That's what they lacked. God already had seen evil in Satan saying, I want to be like God. In eternity past, Jesus, this Jesus who's in human form, has seen Satan fall like a lightning bolt from heaven. He was a part of casting him out of his presence with his wrath because he chose to put himself before God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And yet Jesus, in this passage, in the flesh, full of the Holy Spirit's having a conversation, being tempted by Satan to go, Satan's saying basically to him, Jesus, I want you to skip the cross. I want you to skip all the suffering. I want you to skip all the rejection. If you just go ahead and bow down to me right now, all these people on this planet are going to worship you and me together. Now, we can kind of casually read that. But when you go over to the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus is bleeding as he cries, he's bleeding as he's saying, Lord, does it have to be this way? And then he says, Father, your will be done. This is a huge temptation for Jesus in human flesh. It's a huge temptation for us, according to Romans 1. We're constantly making a choice, church, constantly. Are we going to Worship the things that have been created by God. Satan is tempting Jesus and saying, the worship of men, the thing of men, it will offer you satisfaction. And Jesus knows that that's temporary in comparison to being obedient to God the Father in his word. We're constantly making a choice. Let's continue in verse 9. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, Psalms 91, 11 through 12, Satan begins to quote Scripture. Isn't that scary? 
How much scripture do you know this morning? Do you know more of God's word than Satan does? If not, I just challenge you to get after his word. See, Jesus did not get the USB drive at age three or four plug in the back of his head. Remember, he's, he comes into the world as an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes, and he has to learn the Old Testament in the exact same way that you and I would have to learn the Old Testament. And yet, if he had not labored in obedience to hide the Word of God in his heart all the days of his youth, would he have been prepared for this temptation? Would Jesus have been prepared for this temptation if he had not memorized the Word of God? Did he have a copy of the Old Testament with him in the wilderness in, in, in written form? Where was the Word? It was hidden where? It's hidden in his heart, right? Joshua says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouths, but you shall what? Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So Satan's like, Okay, he just hit me with some more scripture. I'll hit him back with some scripture. I'll fight him at his own game. That's that's the enemy that we're against, church. So he begins to quote Psalms 91, 11 through 12. He says, He will command his angels, Jesus, concerning you to guard you. Satan knows the character of his father. And on their hands he will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus again responds in verse 12. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord God to the test. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6, 16. Now, what are these temptations that are happening? Let's go back over them again. The first one, Jesus, I know you're hungry. Turn that stone over there into bread. Serve yourself. That's the first temptation. The second temptation that Satan often hits us, that he hits Jesus with, is the second one is serve him. If you want to write these down, serve yourself. Second one is that Jesus is tempted with, serve Satan. And then the last one that we are so guilty of, that I'm guilty of this morning, is Satan is tempting Jesus to basically put God in a place to where he has to serve Jesus. That Jesus is, he's trying to put Jesus into a place where Jesus is demanding God to do something. Now, a lot of times this is very subtle in our lives, but it comes out in our prayer. We say, God, if you do this, I'll do that. Or God, I really need you to do this, 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 and this. And what we're doing is we're putting ourselves in a position to dictate to God what actions he should take. Now, the lump of clay, does it have any right to say to the creator how it will be created? No. We have the grace of being covered by the blood of Christ that we know that we can go to the Father, praise God, as children and ask him for things. But the temptation that we must avoid, the temptation that we must find a way of escape from, is to put ourselves in the position of God and then dictating things to him that he should do for us. And that's what Satan is tempting Jesus to do. And yet, in the flesh, filled with the Holy Spirit, full of hunger, Jesus time and time and time again is finding the way of escape in the midst of temptation. He's finding the way to honor God. He's finding the way to be obedient. 
He's finding the way to defeat Satan. And this is incredible news to us this morning. Because what we're seeing in Luke 4 is that Jesus doesn't begin his ministry. (laughs) He doesn't begin his ministry in strength, right? Most of us are constantly, whether it's school, the first day of school coming for some of you in a few days, you want to begin that first day of school having everything together, all of your pencils sharpened, your book bag. You want to begin that day in strength. No ketchup on your shirt, right? First day of work. We want to begin that first day of work in strength, right? You leave out of here this morning, you go back into the world. We're together. It's the taste of heaven. Worshiping God is to fuel the week by which we go out. To, we go back, we're going to go back out into the, the week this week, and we're going to go back out in strength. We're going to begin our ministry, moms, to our children this week in strength. But if you've been a Christian for very long, you realize that after Christ rescues you, that All that God has left you with is weakness. Anybody else feel that way this morning? Because the more you're sanctified in Christ, the bigger God gets and the more you understand your weakness. And when we find ourselves in the same place that Jesus is beginning his ministry, he is at the point of absolute weakness and yet he's finding the strength of God. If you set out in this Christian life to do it in your own strength, you will not find the source of power that Jesus is showing us here in Luke 4. Let's look at this last verse, verse 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until a more opportune time. But let's keep reading in verse 14. And then Jesus, what? Returned in what? He returned in what? He returned in the power of the Holy Spirit to Galilee to report about him, went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. This is interesting. Holy Spirit descends on Jesus at his baptism. Holy Spirit leads him into temptation. He's faithful in temptation when Adam and Eve are unfaithful in temptation. He's faithful in temptation. He's faithful in the midst of utter weakness that maybe none of us have ever experienced. And then what is the reward? He begins his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, Jesus is showing us strength in weakness. Strength in weakness. I was reading something about another pastor out in California, and he was talking about this idea of strength and weakness, strength and weakness in regards to how we interact with each other. And what he says is, is he says we're constantly with each other and we're reminding each other of our strengths. It creates competition. But when we're together and we're constantly reminding each other of our weaknesses, it creates community. Think about a husband and wife relationship. Husbands, if you confess your weaknesses to your wife and say, I am weak in leading you, I'm weak in providing for you, I'm weak in being faithful to reading the word with you, she's not going to feel any need at all to remind you of your weakness. But if you pretend as if you have it all together, there's going to create a seed of bitterness and contentment in your wife. Guys, think about our conversations. We're just constantly throwing in like, oh yeah, last week I caught four marlin and you know, back in college, I can dunk, you know, and 
we're just constantly, in our little conversations, we're just throwing in our strengths. And what happens is, is for men, it's very difficult, very difficult to have meaningful relationships because every relationship feels like a competition. Now think about Jesus. Let's think about his entire ministry. Jesus, fully God, fully man. When he's interacting with this woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, he's operating in weakness, in humility. She's drawn in. She hears the gospel transformed. Zacchaeus, drawn in by Jesus because he's different than the religious leaders who are always talking about their strength, their ability to keep the law. He's unlike them. And Zacchaeus, the center of sinners, is drawn in, life transformed. The disciples, ragtag group of guys. Jesus says, in some way, you can sense the power and weakness. He says, come follow me. These guys lay down everything to follow Jesus. They end up laying down their lives, all of them except for John, because of this strength and weakness. Now this morning, we're going to leave here in just a few minutes. And we're going to encounter the same temptations that Jesus encountered. But he has given us one another. He has given us the church. He has given us our wives, our children, our friends. He's given us an Eve. He's given us an Adam. And more than that, he's given us the person of the Holy Spirit to overcome these temptations. Now, as we flip over in Luke, and we won't turn there because of time, Jesus, it says when Satan departed him, it left him for a more opportune time. Now, when did that opportune time come again? Well, it actually came in the Garden of Gethsemane in closing. He came back to him in the garden. I'm over in um, Luke 22, 39 through 53. If you just like turning, go over there if you want. But he comes back around to him, and he's beginning to messed with Jesus again. And Jesus says some things to his disciples that I want you to hear in closing this morning. So let's just turn there. We have, we have enough time. Luke twenty two thirty nine. And so Jesus goes out and he went to, as his custom, the Mount of Olives and his disciples went with him. And when he came to the place, verse 40, he said to them, pray what? Pray that you may not what? Enter into temptation. So Jesus now is not alone in the wilderness. He's with his boys. And he's saying, I want you to pray with me. Be with me in the midst of this temptation to not do what God's called me to do. Pray with me. And you know what they do? They serve themselves by sleeping in the midst of temptation. Let's keep going. So Jesus is interacting and he says, and he withdrew with them about a stone's throw. Verse 41, he knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. Oh, wait a minute. That's amazing, right? Verse 44, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down from the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow, for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not what? Enter into temptation. Now we see Jesus, who was faithful in the flesh, 
in the wilderness overcome Satan. And then he is faithful to the end. Lord, unto you I commit my spirit. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the midst of it, he's saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is the God-man that we, we serve. This is the God-man who rescued us. And when he goes into the grave for three days, sin cannot hold him. Temptation has been defeated. We will be resurrected with our king. We don't have to wait till Jesus comes back to gather us unto himself or till we go unto him to live a life that is able to overcome temptation day in and day out. Church, we will be tempted. But we had a God-man in the flesh who overcame temptation for us and then promised us, according to Paul's writings, that no temptation will overtake us that's not common to man to Jesus. But God is faithful this morning for us, church, that in our weakness, he will give strength if we ask for it, and he will provide a way of escape that we may be able to endure it. Let us pray together. Let's go ahead and just stand together as we pray. Father God, unto you we commit our spirits. We thank you that in the same way that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove, that, Father, upon our confession and belief in you, that we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that we have a Savior who showed the example of becoming the least, not making great of himself as we tend to do, becoming the least, and then you exalting him to the right hand of the throne of you. God, don't let us exalt ourselves. Let us humble ourselves before you and find strength in weakness so that you might at the proper time lift us up and glorify us alongside of your son. Father, I know this church, the church of Charleston, the, the church specific here, that when these dear saints leave the door today, even as they get in their vans or cars, they're going to be tempted to be bitter towards one another. They're going to be tempted to gossip about someone. They're going to be tempted to envy a house they drive by on the way home. But Lord, you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, have given us the ability, through the example of your Son, to overcome evil with good and to have the power to defeat Satan day in and day out who seeks to destroy us and to steal life. Lord, remind this dear group of saints this morning that, that but you have come that we might have life and life abundantly. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.